Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello there and welcome to yet another episode of Ayers on the Road. Richard and Linda Ayer here. We don't know if you're listening to a live broadcast or to a podcast or if you're going on BYU Radio and going back in the archives or listening live. There's so many ways. Isn't or if great you're driving or you're cleaning your garage, we're not sure. Whatever you're doing. <laughs> you're doing. We do love podcasts. We listen to a lot of podcasts and our kids, my gosh, how do our kids have time to do anything else? They're always listening to podcasts. They're always telling us their favorite ones. Yeah, we, lo- we love it. It's amazing what's available to us now, although this is a radio show, well, but it we, is we on do, podcasts. Well, we do hear more and more people that come and say, I, I heard you on, I heard your, your, your program on marriage, or I heard your program on this or that, and we say, well, did you listen live? And it seems to me like actually, at least in my experience, more of them are saying, well, I, I get it as a podcast. Yeah. And that, I guess the advantage is you can listen to it whenever you want. Well, the nice thing is that somebody is listening. We just talk into a computer. <laughs> we have no idea. In fact, we were at church on Sunday, and this beautiful couple came up to us. They were service missionaries, uh, an older couple, not old, but, you know, a couple with nine children. And they said they'd been listening to us and they were so delightful they said oh well we're learning what we should have done with our kids before (laughs) and that's not true i'll bet you every one of those nine kids are amazing which reminds me linda we we should always we should reiterate this every once in a while ayers on the road the red cat the the broadcast or the podcast whichever it is in case you didn't know it is a guilt free zone we do not allow anyone to say, oh, I wish I'd known that sooner, or gee, I wish I'd done that, or oh, I feel so bad I didn't do that. That's nonsense. We all do the best we can. We're all learning. We're all trying to be better parents, trying to be better marriage partners. It's not a game of perfect. We all have things we could have done better, and guilt is an enemy. It'll work against us. And, you know, we all have things that we wish we'd done, I mean, or figured out before our kids left us, and we have one son who's just he's so great. He just really only had a couple of good friends and that's, that's what he needed. He just felt safe with a couple of good friends. He had other friends, but just good friends. And, um, after he was married and became, uh, he did construction management at BYU and then became a teacher. He sent us all a book called the introvert advantage. You don't mean after he was married. No, no, not after. Did I say that? (laughs) Oh my this gosh. is our this is our one son who is not, not married. married, by the way. Yeah. Um, after he. Um, so where are you going with this? So thing? I'm going with the fact that he sent us a book called The Introvert Advantage and let us know who he really was. We missed that he was an introvert. He was so he was so in that crowd of kids. We did not figure that out afterwards. And what reminded you of that? How does that tie because in? Because of this couple that said we, there are things that we wish we'd done or we should have done or whatever. We all have things we probably oh, should have caught. Oh, so you're saying that's noticed. one of our regrets. Well, now one that of you've many, done that, one I of our hope many, that the, one of our many the regrets. Have also got that. <laughs> but there always are regrets. But. Have we told our guilt story on, on, on the show? Um, I don't know. I don't know if we have either, but we, I should say first, you know, we are going to be talking about the 11th of the top 10 marriage tips. <laughs> so this is a bonus. This a bonus. is the last one in this series. We know many of you have listened to all of them and 
This is the last one, and then we're going to move more fully into Christmas things. But uh, I didn't want to quickly tell you this guilt story in case we haven't ever told it before, because a lot of times when we speak, we start off with this story because we want wherever we're speaking to be a guilt-free zone. So much guilt in parenting and in marriage and wishing we'd done better and blah, blah, blah. And we got to get rid of that because it works against us. So one time we were visiting a little church up in rural Idaho and uh, people didn't know us there. And we just came in and sat quietly in the back in the Sunday school lesson happened to be on parenting. And we were like, okay, we'll just sit here and listen. And um, there was one other visitor and he was a bragger. Remember that guy? Oh <laughs> my do. gosh. He had every answer. Every time the teacher asked a question, he raised his hand. Well, my son, the valedictorian, here's how we did it with him. Well, my daughter, the uh, student body president, here's how we did it with her. And on and on and on and on. And his marriage seemed to be perfect too. And he raised his hand on every question and it was getting a little strange. <laughs> and then one little farmer stood up. He got, he raised his hand and he stood up and he turned around and he looked right at this big bragger, this city slicker. And he said, uh, excuse me, sir, but God must've thought not have thought much of you as a parent sending you all them easy kids. Um, and we were like, yeah, yes, that's it. That's because it. You know, kids come it. as who they are, and some are tough, and some are a little easier. And we shouldn't judge ourselves or others or feel guilt. We just all do the best we can, and we try to get ideas from each other and learn to be better at our parenting and at our marriaging. Right, and I'm just going to say not only parenting, but also with our marriages, because it really it's so hard to get it right. Well, we still haven't got it right, and we are coming up on 50 years. And some of you know our, our book that we're working hard on. In fact, we've just been in a little getaway down in the desert of southern Utah where no one could bother us trying to finish up this book on marriage. And it's actually called Marriaging. Because we think that's a better word than marriage. I mean, think of parenting. Parenting implies it's an active word. You're working hard. You're trying to get better at it. It's a skill set. It's an art. It's a science. You're working at it. You're getting ideas. We need the same kind of word for marriaging. And so the name of the book is The Eight Myths of Marriaging. And there are eight myths we think people are getting a little messed up by. And so we're trying to expose them. And we're having fun with this marriage book, aren't we, honey? I'm telling you. We are, but we're, we're finally going to be glad getting our own marriage straightened out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is helpful to think about it in detail, and and uh, we're just glad to have had the process of thinking through a lot of things. And of course, it's December, and of course, it's Christmas coming up, and of course, we're going to be talking extensively about Christmas and ideas for families at Christmas over the next three weeks. But we wanted to finish up this marriaging series today with one final installment, and it wasn't originally one of the top 10, but as we've been speaking and writing and thinking about marriage, here's one of the interesting things we keep coming across, and we ended up putting this as one of the eight myths in this marriaging book, and the myth is the goal of marriage is equality. Now, that sounds irrefutable. I mean, of course, couples should be equal, and and equality is so much more a part of marriages now than it was, say, 50 years ago. And the roles are more fluid and people can do different things as husband and wife. And all that is such a good thing. 
But our concern, I'm just going to state it, Linda, and then you elaborate a little on it. Our concern is that when it's all about equality and it's like this judgment we're making and, well, are we equal? Well, did you do something I didn't do last week? Well, did I have more time with the kids than you did last week? Well, did we all do this? Have you done this? Have I done this? Have I done? It almost becomes a competition. It almost becomes like we're trying to have a tie here. We're, we're running this on this track and we want to have a tie. We want to make sure everything's equal. And the problem is that so often equality is defined as sameness. We have to be the same. There can't be a difference in our roles as a husband and a wife or as someone who focuses on this aspect and someone else who focuses on that. Maybe one is working, one's staying home with the kids. Maybe both are working but splitting other responsibilities. Whatever the formula is, Maybe it's not so much about equality as a measurement and a judgment and a constant competition. Maybe it's about oneness, where we try to fit our two skill sets together and come up with synergy where the total is greater than the sum of its parts. What do you think? You know, this is a really interesting topic, and it's it's, it's evolved through the years. For us in our generation, um, so many of us stayed home. We're stay-at-home moms and so on. And now with Gen X and, of course, now with the millennials, there are so many people who are both working and both involved with, you know, a lot of things outside of the home. And so it's it became kind of an obsession for these young mothers to say, you have to come home and clean the toilet and do the dishes and so on. I, I did that. And they're, they're, which is all certainly good. Is good. We need those things to, uh, to make it happen. But for us, you know, I, I really tried on you, honey. I really tried to get you to, you know, teach you how to clean toilets properly and <laughs> do dishes properly and so on. I, I and, got pretty good at it. Come and on. actually, when you really concentrate on it, you can do it. But in the end, I kind of end up doing some things uh, over again. And so I decided, you know well, what? Well, I, I end up doing some things over again, even though I taught you how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is sounding silly. No, but I ha I do have to say that at, in the end, I decided, you know what, I'd rather do it myself because I want it done the way I want it done. And so, you know, you have to you have to come up with a balance on that. And I'm sure that that's a struggle for everyone listening. How how do we make it so that we're happy, not just doing 50-50, but doing 30-70 in some cases? I mean, we have so many friends whose spouses are are not functional now, and they have to take up the slack. It's certainly not a 50-50 deal, but that's okay. We have to figure that out at different phases in our lives and make it work. Well, that's where we're going to go in the second half of the show today is into some specific ideas on how to, how to, how to focus on oneness, which is a cooperative, balanced, sort of appreciate each other and understand that we are good at different things kind of an approach and not worry so much about equality in the sense of, are we all doing exactly the same things? And are we sure that we're equal? Are we sure that my part isn't harder than yours? Are we sure that, you know, it just can become a little obsessive. And oneness is actually a higher law. We think it's a higher level, it's a higher paradigm where you're saying, hey, no other marriage is exactly like ours. No other balance is just like ours. How can we create the best functional partnership 
both in terms of how we're how we're each contributing to raising the kids, both in terms of how we're both um, using our skill, both in terms of how we're you're both trying to meet our our passions and follow our interests. How can we combine those in a way that supports each other and that works out synergistically and that really makes a wonderful oneness partnership, which may which we think is a higher law than a equality partnership. Yeah, it really is. And you do have to work it out though that both partners feel happy about how you become one because there are several different ways to do it. And we have to say that we have struggled with that. <clears throat> Off and on, we have had a lot, a lot of arguments, a lot of disagreements. That's part of our mantra. <laughs> but don't <laughs> you think, Linda, all so in all, has there ever been a time in our marriage where you have felt that we were not one? I mean, other than the brief moments yeah, when we're days. arguing. <laughs> but, but is there any time that we are just not a partnership, I mean, in a real sort of sense or have we always managed to say we're struggling with this we're struggling with that but we're committed and we're one and we'll work through it um there are some days uh, i'm i really have to admit in the middle in our middle marriage when we had all those kids home and all this stuff going and i just thought you know what i just can't do this anymore i can't do this anymore but in my heart of hearts it was like yeah yeah you can okay we're going to take a brief break and we're going to come back with some specific ideas on forming a oneness partnership, which will supersede a partnership of equality. We'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back with Ayers on the Road. And if you live in Utah, we are living in a winter wonderland today. It is absolutely gorgeous. We are up at uh, Park City, and it is coming down today. It's winter is on us. When we finish the show, I'm going to go out and crank up the snowplow and have a good old time out there. If I can get all the plowing done, I might be able to get out the skis. What do you think? I love that you're putting work first. That's really good. <laughs> Speaking of a partnership. Right. <laughs> you know, um, in this book we're working on, we, we did a lot of research on, on various sort of forms of partnership and so on. And, and even on philosophical basis for, for partnerships and marriage and so on. And what's interesting is that when you get into Eastern philosophy or, or in, into sort of Chinese and, and other Eastern uh, thinking, you, of course, run on to Lao Tzu and, and the yin and the yang, the whole idea of the two great opposite forces that sort of hold the universe in check. And Lao Tzu lived 600 years before Christ, by the way, and one really fascinating thing that he said is, if there ever appears on this earth a being who is both the yin and the yang, which is the masculine and the feminine, the hot and the cold, though, all the opposites, the, the, the dark and the light, all the things that, that have dynamic tension that holds the world together, if there ever appears on this earth a being who is both the yin and the yang, that being will not be a man, that will be God. And I just love to reflect on that because he said that 600 years before Christ. And Christ, when you think about it, really was 
both the yin and the yang. He encompassed all those things. None of us can do that. He was both confident and humble. He was both aggressive and interested in insignificant people and on and on and on. In fact, I did a, a piece on, on our on our Instagram. We do invite all of you to follow us on um, Richard Linda Iyer on Instagram. And the last one was actually on the balance and the synergy that Christ had with himself. We as mere mortals can't achieve that. We cannot be both the yin and the yang. And that's why marriage, if it's handled right, in our view, and approached properly, can be this wonderful thing. You've all seen the diagram of a circle with the little line in between. If you look at it, it almost looks like a tennis ball with the line going down, dividing the yin and the yang that fit together into this one. And that's really what we think marriage is at its finest. It's, it's the male and the female, neither of whom lose their individuality, but who intentionally give up in a certain kind of individuality for an interdependence. They give up independence in favor of interdependence. They want to depend and rely on each other. And the thing is, you know, it really does uh, matter if, if you're in a relationship where you just think this is just not right because this is not equal. It's just never going to be exactly equal because you're different personalities and different things. Uh, you you love different things. I mean, I feel like if I had to have all your attributes in me too, I I, I would not like You'd it. Explode. I would not want. It. I couldn't do it. I would explode. <laughs> um, and I would if I had all of yours. It really is so important to realize that there is sometimes it's 90, 10, sometimes it's 30, 70, sometimes, sometimes it's 50, Depending 50, on the day. Yeah. Depending, depending on, on who's yeah. up for it and who isn't up for it. It's like, and, and here's the funny thing. And some people will, will wonder what I'm talking about. I like depending on you. I like the fact that there are certain things I just can't do anywhere near as well as you. And I'm so glad you're good at them because I'm so bad at them. You know? Yeah, vice versa. Oh, man. Um, this man can sit down and write all day and just flows out. And, man, I have to go over and over and go back and do I really send that? It's just Well, but even when we are writing together, I, I try to figure things out analytically and, and piece them together. You just know whether they're good or bad or right or wrong intuitively. You just have a whole different kind of intelligence yeah, right, than I do. But and I think any couple, if they really are looking for those synergies or those differences that actually complement, and if they learn to relish those differences rather than resent them. Yeah, you know, so often when we were first married, like, why can't he be more like me? Why can't he understand? This is the way you do it. This is the way you do it. And it really has taken a lot of years. Sorry for those of you who are newlyweds. Um, and I hope we're not alienating all the single folks out there because um, there there are so many great things about being single. But actually, um, we are in a marriage that is so fun and so exciting and so hard and and so fulfilling. Well, and I think that, um, again, we don't want anyone to misunderstand. We are all for equality. I mean, if there's if there's anything that's abhorrent. To Linda and I, and I think you'd agree, honey, it's not, it's, it's a relationship that when we see a lot of relationships in what we do and in our travel and our speaking and so on, if there's anything we can't stomach, it's 
it's a relationship where two people are really obviously unequal. One's sort of the dominant person, the other one's like a little doormat that just walks around and follows or whatever. That's just, that's just, uh, that bothers us no end. And, and of course we, we believe that in a good marriage, there's not one person that's more important than the other, or one person is more privileged than the other, or one person is to have more power than the other, any of that. So of course we want equality. We're just saying the highest kind of equality is where you rise above competition and above worrying about totaling everything up and seeing if everyone's doing the same thing enough. And, and you get over that and you say, we're not two individuals competing with each other. We are, we have chosen to become one entity as a married couple and we're interested in the result of the collective of our family, of our marriage, of ourselves. We're not interested in the total of each of us individually and always worrying about whether it's equal in every single respect. I love the fact that you do some things way better than I. <laughs> I love the fact, frankly, that I can do some things better than you so that we can learn from each other and teach each other and so on. We've even done some writing. We've sat down and tried to say, what are your gifts? What are my gifts? What parts of parenting are you best at? What am I best at? What are the things we each do with passion and excellence? What are your hobbies? What are mine? What are your interests, what are mine, what are our passions, how can we accommodate and support each other? Not necessarily trying to get us to adopt all the same things. Well, and I do feel like there are some things that are irritating sometimes about your spouse, like, oh my gosh, why in the world is he doing this this way? And finally, after 50 years, <laughs> I've, I've been able to say, you know, Richard Iyer is who he is, and I really can't change that nor what I want to change that so I just got to roll with it and when he does something that's outrageous um I can mention it I can be mad or I can do whatever but I especially in our Sunday session I yes <laughs> but I don't really want him to be a different person and sometimes I think when you look back the things that irritate you about your spouse sometimes are the things that you loved with them originally and um you've got to remember that it, you have to put that in context, I think. Well, and I you remember, Linda, that we, you know, I remember one of our dreams when we first got married and we were young and naive. We were going to have all the same interests. I was I was an athlete. I was going to teach you to play tennis. We, you were, we were going to be a great mixed doubles team. You were a violinist. You were going to teach me to play the cello so we could play duets and so we could String you know, have equal kids, yeah. interests. And here's the funny thing. You're... <laughs> none of those things came true, but they sort of evolved in an interesting way. Like you're a great tennis fan and basketball fan now, even though you don't love doing it. And I have become a, just a, you know, I'll drag you to the symphony now. So we supported each other so much and so long that we developed overlapping interests and joys without necessarily having to become the same person who did the same thing. Yeah, sometimes you realize, oh, this is not going to work. This is not going to change, so I have to change. I have to change my mind about what I really want or what I really need, and I have to adapt with what is really happening. And I think that is a great exercise. So here's a metaphor for it. Um, what is water? 
Water is H2O. Water is hydrogen and oxygen. Now, hydrogen is a wonderful gas. It has many good properties, and, and, and oxygen is a great thing. It has many wonderful properties. Um, and so they can exist separately, but when they are combined in the right way, they become water, life-giving, pure, flowing, wonderful, ethereal water. And, and I think we, that's sort of a metaphor for what we're trying to say here is that you don't lose the hydrogens. The hydrogen is still hydrogen. The oxygen is still oxygen, but they've combined to form water. And we think a great marriage is, is an additive process. It's not like I'll give up who I am to be married to you. It's like, I'll stay who I am. You'll stay who you are. We'll join together. We'll both get better at what we are through each other's support. And we'll have this third entity, which is not you and not me, but us. And what can it do? Well, it can procreate, it can create, it can develop this whole, this whole wonderful family. It can, it can do so many things that were not possible individually. And that's our choice. We do that because we want to be one. And in order to do that, you really have to talk about it, whether you like it or not. And I know some of you are married to a spouse that doesn't like to talk or doesn't like to express feelings and so on, and it makes it so hard. And we know that several friends who ha have, you know, a situation with that with their spouse. But the more you can talk about it, the more you can express how you really feel, the better off you are. We, we really advocate that people have something we call an executive session on yeah, Sundays. Once a We've week talked about this a little bit before. Where you really explore. But once a week, we do really get together and talk. And if there's some things that I have been disturbed about, I used to blow up at the moment something happened. And now I'm able to say, you know, that really bugs me and let's talk about it on Sunday. Um, and so I kind of hang in until we get there. And then I say, um, when we get to our little meeting on Sunday, and we really do this religiously because so much happens in one week uh, in any household that you need to talk about it, even if it's just for half an hour or 15 minutes. But it is so crucial to, to talk about your feelings on, um, at least once a week and how are we doing and how can I help you and so on. And if you're thinking this is not possible, just give it a try because it's, it's pretty amazing what can actually come. From that. Well, it's all about goals, isn't it, Linda? If your goal is just to coexist, that's kind of a low-rate marriage goal. If your goal is to become equal and keep evaluating each other, that's another level. But we suggest you adopt the goal of oneness. So think about that. Follow up uh, by going to our Instagram at Richard Linda Iyer or to our website at valuesparenting.com. Have a wonderful Christmas. We're going to talk next week about separating Santa from Jesus. We're going to talk about how to have a Christmas that is oriented to giving rather than getting. Got a lot of ideas to share with you over the next few weeks. So have a wonderful season, and we'll see you next time on Hires on the Road. Bye-bye. So